We're going to continue our series through Mark. And so if you want to turn to Mark 7, we'll be in verses 14 through 23 as we begin service this morning. Pastor Kenny uh, gives his greetings. He's performing a wedding for a close friend in Seattle. So we'll pray for his safe return uh, back here to us this week. Well, I'm going to begin by reading our passage uh, as you make your way there, starting in verse 14. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You just bow your heads with me for one moment. Father, we lift up just this time to you as we look deep into your word, into the words of Christ, echoing the songs that we've sung to have Christ alone be the focus and goal of our heart, and that we would hear you through the words here, and anything that I say that's not of you, that that would fall away, but that your spirit would use what we talk about this morning to change our hearts and direct us towards your son and his work on the cross. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. So this morning, the talk, what we're going through is what the heart wants, what the heart wants. And we live in a world and in a culture that I know that you are like me, that you've heard the phrase before, follow your heart, listen to your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. I looked up just to see what would show up if I Googled follow your heart, and I was really surprised. You guys probably already know it because it's a big brand, but there's a company called Follow Your Heart, and commonly known, they're the makers of a vegetable-based mayo, Follow Your Heart. I don't know what it has to do with that, but I mean, obviously, your, our deep heart desire is plant-based mayonnaise. I've, I didn't know that, but follow your heart. That's what it is. I mean, it's just a common phrase. We hear it all the time. A lot of times in youth ministry, well-meaning people say that to students about what they should do with their life. Figure out what your heart wants. Figure out what we might call your passion. Follow your heart. And there couldn't be more destructive and wrong advice that you can often give people, especially not knowing where their heart is and what their heart might want. And Jesus directs in this passage to the true nature of our hearts. That actually what our hearts want is something that we can't trust. Because we don't know how inaccurate, how fallible, how broken, how much of a liar our own heart could be. How unhealthy the inner voice that we could listen to to direct us in a path that God wouldn't want us to go. Jesus is telling us this morning, and what I hope that we can look at together, is that our hearts are actually the factories. They're the creators. They're the business with one single export of making our lives against God, especially without Christ. That's what they do. Our hearts want 
what our hearts want, not what the Lord wants for us. And so the first point on your outline is this. Your heart is what corrupts you. Your heart is what corrupts you. And this seems like, I mean, this is a hard thing to say because, right, we live in a world that says, you know, listen to your heart. Just look inside. Come on, we're all, we're all good. Everyone, everyone wants good, but it's the things outside of us. That's the stuff that kind of messes us up. And it's not to deny that things outside of us do affect us. There is negative effects, negative influences, people in our life that are unhealthy. But what Jesus points to here, and he gathers the people around him again, and he says to them, hear me, listen, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And he's talking about the dietary laws, that they would say that you are defiled by what you are eating. He's saying that's not what happens. Actually, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. What comes out of their heart is what's defiling them. So before this passage and what we talked about last week, if you remember with Pastor Kenny last week, is that Jesus was talking about what it looks like when someone's heart has not been changed and they're following the letter of the law. They're following what these rules say they're supposed to do and what happens when they do that, they totally miss what God's actual heart is and why he would call them to do something. In that passage, Jesus points out that when this man, this son, is trying to follow the law and follow these things and offer something to God, and then when his parents are in need, the son goes, well, I can't help you because I already offered this thing to God. And Jesus says, you're, you're missing it. You think that you're following the law, but you missed what the heart of the law is, and you've revealed where your heart truly is. Because I, I don't want us to forget, sometimes we get this view of the Pharisees that they, they're the bad guys, right? Pharisees and Sadducees, which, I mean, in the story, they kind of are, right? They're the ones who don't like what Jesus is saying. They're, they're doing this. And so, but our idea of why they're the bad guys, we might actually, they were the people that would agree closest in many ways to Jesus. They had kind of the same job. They were local pastors. They were strict, literal, Bible-believing pastors. But the problem was is that they were trying to access and get holiness before God through just following the law. Not just following the law that, Jesus, that God laid out, but then adding upon it to think that that would make someone more holy. And Jesus has the same goal, was to make a holy people through his kingdom for God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is about, is making a people unto himself. But the method of how they did that is it shows how wildly different these were. Because what happens when we don't realize that our heart is what corrupts us is that we can get out of order how we could act in our life. Because if we just start with trying to fix what's happening on the outside, trying to change what's being ingested, and we don't deal with our heart where the evil desires actually come from, we can trick ourselves into believing that we are being holy while the inside is completely corrupt and completely against God. So this can wreck our lives if we live this way because we can believe that we are getting close to God by doing the right things. By saying, I'm following all of these rules that I know that God has. I make sure that I go to church this amount of time. I show up and serve in these ways. I do these things. This is what God wants. And that is true in part. God wants those things, but he wants your heart 
first. And we'll continue on here just to look back. That story of the son, I think, emphasizes before as Jesus calls the people back to himself and repeats it one more time. He's just told them this story of a son who dedicated this thing in his life to God, right? Pastor Kenny used the example of like dedicating a car, but he dedicates this thing to God, says, God, this is for you. And then his family is in need and he tells them, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't help you. I've dedicated this to God. I mean, it's his. I can't give it to you. It reminds me of that story of the person that's stuck on an island and they're praying for God to help them. You guys have heard that one before. They're praying, God, please save us. And so this guy comes with a boat to get to the island. And the guy says, hey, I can give you a ride off the island. And he says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. God's going to save me. And as the story goes on, he waits. And then the guy dies on the island. He gets to heaven and he goes, God, why didn't you save me? And God goes, I, I was trying to save you this whole time. You kept saying no to everybody. We're not seeing how God works. You're missing the point of what God has said. And so as we live out these good works, if it's not coming from a changed heart, you will miss the point of what God's law is commanding you to do. So then as we move on, Jesus really wants us to know this idea because he's now going to repeat it one more time. He says, and when he had entered the house and left those people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Did you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? And instead, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. Now, I, I love this part for a lot of reasons, but that line right there, when in the ESV, Jesus is pretty nice about it because he says, it sounds like a nice question. Then are you also without understanding? Kind of sounds like he's saying like, do you, do you not understand it maybe? But what he's saying there, here's a couple other ways to say it. Do you seriously not understand? Or are you being dense on purpose? Or the message, my favorite one, is um, are you being willfully stupid? <laughs> now, as Everett would say, my son, stupid's a bad word, so you can't say it. So I don't know if Jesus really said that. But it's capturing what he's saying here. It's, it's like are, you're not getting this. And he's saying it at a, at a point of worry. Like you're not understanding what I'm saying. Your prob the problem is deep within you. Are you trying to not understand that your heart is the issue? And they still called him. He's like, well, what's the parable mean? Is there a deeper meaning? Can, can we understand the parable in a different way maybe? And he's saying, no, no, no. The problem is just as bad as you think it is. In fact, it's worse. It's not what's happening outside of you that's your biggest problem. It's actually your heart. Your heart is going to be pushing out those evil desires. There's a quote on your page that says this. All the danger is when the world gets into the heart. Uh, the water for sailing is useful for sailing the ship. All the danger is when the water gets into the ship. So the fear is when the world gets into the heart. And therefore, we'll sink it. I think what Jesus is trying to say here, and I said it nicely for you on the outline. What's on your outline is, listen up. I didn't call you stupid or anything. But he's saying, listen up. Your heart is your enemy. Listen, hear it again. Your heart is not on your side. Everywhere we go, people are going to be saying, listen to your heart. Trust your heart. Figure out what your heart wants. And Jesus is saying, don't. Your heart is your enemy. Your heart is telling you what you want to hear. Now we'll get later to that our hearts can be changed, but that will always be a warning whether you've been a Christian for your whole life or maybe you were just becoming a Christian or this idea of following Jesus is a beginning. 
all of us need to hear that our heart should not be trusted. And I think to tell us that this is important, that this is something that we will need to be reminded of, is the fact that in the last section here, chapter 7 through verse 20, Jesus has repeated it three times, this same idea. Repeated it, then he gave a story about it, then he grabbed the people again and he said, hey, what comes out of you is what defiles you. And then he goes inside, and I like to imagine that I'm the disciples, and I know that sometimes we're like, come on, guys, how could you do that? But I know exactly how they could do that. They're out there with Jesus, then they walk inside the house. Jesus is like, we're about to relax. I'm gonna have, we're going to sit down. And then the second they get inside, the disciples go, what were you talking about, though? Like, I didn't get it. Can you say it again one more time? I mean, maybe you guys have excellent memory all the time, but I know literally last night, Sydney asked me to get her a glass of water as she was putting Mabel to bed. And I said, I got it. Glass of water. I can do that. I walk out of the room. I get a notification on my phone. As I look at my phone, then I start thinking about the sermon this morning. Then I'm thinking about the sermon and how I'm going to talk about something. Before I know it, I've been standing in front of the fridge for five minutes, just standing. And I go, why am I in the kitchen? And I think, and I go, Sydney, Sydney needed a glass of water. She's just sitting there with Mabel. Like I figured that you got distracted. She knows me well enough that like, he, he'll, maybe he'll remember. He'll figure it out that I asked for a glass of water. And I like to imagine that Jesus knows that about some of us. And he knows that we have to have it repeated, and especially a truth as important as this, is that our heart is not something to be entrusted. Instead, it's something that will put evil out of us, that we need to hear it again and again. Don't, yes, good works need to happen, but don't start there. Start instead with your heart. And so he gives this list of, of two different types. So we continue on. He says, from, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. And we'll stop there at that beginning of verse 22. Because what we don't necessarily see in the passage right here is that Mark is listing out, as Jesus says these things, a list of plural words and then singular words. And that's, we're going to break these apart because I think he is showing something that is important for us, that there are sinful actions, and that's our first point on here on your outline, our hearts commit sinful actions. And then the secondary, which we'll get into, is about these mindsets. So our heart, from our heart, can pour sinful actions. The sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, and then a big umbrella, all wickedness. Our hearts are going to be producing these actions as we go about our days, as we live in this world. The quote on your outline from Billy Graham, I think, encompasses how this can look in our life. It says, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. I will tell you where their heart is. And so as he gives this list out of these sins, he's beginning to show them, all right, Yes, these food laws, these dietary laws of what comes in, that's not what's defiling you in your heart. It's that your heart is what produces greed. It's what's producing these actions of sexual morality, of theft, of murder, adultery, coveting, and then wickedness. But before we move on, and I think sometimes we get these, because it's mirroring in some ways the Ten Commandments and what these sins look like, I think a lot of us can get into this mindset where we go, okay, yeah, those are bad, but like I, ha I haven't murdered anyone. I mean, and hopefully nobody in this room, I haven't stolen anything, theft, that's pretty easy, and 
you know, I, I haven't done this or that. But what I always look at in these lists is something that I think is ingrained into our American culture. It's become accepted, and if anything, it's attached to the American dream, which is coveting, which is wanting and wanting and wanting and more and more in such a way that it's normalized. It's just a part of our life that you want what the other person has. You want that dream of someday having this house in that, that yard and that neighborhood and this amount of income and all of these things. And we forget because that's accepted and that's, you know, dreamcasting or having vision for your life. We forget that that kind of idea, coveting and wanting what you don't have, not being satisfied in what's in front of you, what God has already given you, is a sin. It's in the same list as murder. It's not on a separate thing and be like, ah, oh, this is kind of bad. Man, don't, maybe don't do that. No, it's in the same list that Jesus is saying, this comes out of your heart and this is what defiles you. This is what corrupts you. This is what separates you from God. And so as we think through this, Jesus is setting this, this bar of holiness very high. The Pharisees set a bar high by trying to do all these outward things. But what he's saying is that even if you didn't eat all of those things and you made sure that you didn't touch these things, that on this day of the week you didn't do anything, you still wouldn't be dealing with the root of the problem. Even if you went to church every day of the week and you served every day and you went to every homeless shelter and you did everything you could, you wouldn't be dealing with what Jesus says is the factory of all of it, your heart. And so I, I think for each one of us to remember what Jesus is saying is the seriousness of something even as simple as coveting. I said, like, on the way to church this morning, you can see about 500 ads of different things, and you turn on the radio, and it's another ad of something else you want. Our whole culture is built upon advertising and making you want things that you don't have. I can drive in my truck on the way to church and be, see about five other ways that I needed a better truck. And I go, and I go, oh, yeah, that one is better. I oh, mean, it'd be great if I had that. It'd be great if, like, the, my decals hadn't fallen off my truck, and now they're in the back of my truck bed. I wish it was a joke, but my truck is falling apart. I don't know what happened to it. It just fell off. But I can want those things, and then I can joke and be like, yeah, well, you know, I want it. But if that is my heart, if I really sit there on that, that is separating me from God. That's a corruption of my heart that I'm not at peace with what God has given me. And so the seriousness that Jesus lays here at this first list is saying, their actions, and these are what's corrupting you. But if that wasn't enough, he takes it one step further in Mark with the rest of this list, in the rest of verse 22 and 23, and he says, our hearts, and this is on your outline, our hearts produce sinful postures. Not only is it these sinful actions that are, that are setting us out to do these things, but it's also the posture of our heart. And that's where it says deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, slander, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What, we mean, what, I, what I mean by postures, as we look at what these words are that are in singular, it's that these things are what directs our life. As we look at the direction of our heart and how we live, how we make our decisions, our heart will give us direction that is away from God. Not only will we do things that God has called us not to do, but we will be directed towards ways that God has commanded us not to go. So it'll be easy for our hearts and in our flesh to lean into deceit. That we would want to be deceitful for the sake of our own good. That we would want to hide the wrong things that we've done in our work or our jobs that therefore make us look better. 
that our desires, and when we say sensuality, the Bible is saying that, that everything that, that feeds our, our flesh, the things that we feel like we want that make us feel good, we don't have to work at those things being what we want. Our heart will make that automatically our posture, that we want what makes us comfortable. We want what makes us feel good in the moment, no matter that God has said that something is right or wrong. Envy is, is just that posture of, of wanting what we don't have, that we look at what others' lives are, especially for those of us that, that are younger and, and older that, that are on social media. I mean, that's kind of the basis of what a lot of it is. It's just showing a life that you wish that you had. Seeing someone else's life and how they're doing the things that you wish that you could do. And that's no light matter. Jesus is including these attitudes and postures as what corrupts our heart. What separates us from God. A quote on your outline from Augustine says, Where your pleasure is, there your treasure and where your treasure is, there is your heart. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. When Jesus is talking about our hearts, he's not just talking about the organ that's pumping blood through our body. He's talking about the center of who you are, where you hold your treasure, what is most important to you. And what he's telling these folks 2,000 years ago is that not denying the importance of what happens on the outside, not denying all the purposes of the law, even though he is calling out those dietary laws and saying that those will fade away. But he's saying, before you get so concerned about all of these laws out here, have you dealt with the thing that's creating the problem? Your heart. As a youth pastor, one of the things that I don't say to parents all the time, but is my heart, is that I don't want your kids to just be nice kids. I don't want your kids to just be good kids. Because a lot of times we, we come in and a kid has a lot of relational problems and a lot of things, and I, and I don't want that. I mean, as a person who lives in San Diego in a neighborhood, things are a lot better if for the government and social things if people are respectful and good. But as a youth pastor, my concern is with their heart because you can set up laws and boundaries that someone will follow and they will never know Jesus and therefore they will never be right with God. And so when I say that, I, my main concern is that not if someone is good, it's that if someone knows Christ and knows their need in their heart. Because this idea that our heart corrupting us in this way should, should make us in some way, afraid, knowing the power and the evil in our own hearts, that we can't look out and blame other things, even though we, we have circumstances. And like that quote has said, the world is washing over into us, trying to drown us. But at the same time, the heart exists on the ship of our life, and it's drilling holes through it, wanting to sink us. And that's where the passage ends today. And so, good luck. Everyone have a good week. That's the situation. That's the, only, that's the verses I had. It ends right there. But that's not where the story ends. That's, that's where the problem begins. And that's where we realize how, how dark and hopeless our life will be. But for Christ. Because, I mean, I do think that the disciples had to go to bed and be like, oh my gosh. I mean, because it doesn't seem like he told them, hey, but don't worry, guys, I'm going to fix it all. 
He's just like, yeah, this is it. You can't you have all the laws in the world. Your heart's still producing this. But actually, many years before Jesus was saying that, in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I'll read it for you guys, the, the, uh, the verses on the outline, but I'll read it out loud for us. Ezekiel 36, 26, written far before Jesus was on the earth, it pointed to this fact that our hearts needed to be new. It says, and I, God, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take you, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This was fulfilled in Christ. Christ is pointing back to the fact that we needed new hearts, our stony, unresponsive hearts that are just trying to follow laws and rules, trying to make ourselves be good enough before God. God knew that we couldn't do it. And therefore Christ came. And in Colossians 3.10, it says, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Be renewed with a new heart. And so that's the hope and that's on your outline. Our only, our one and only hope is in Christ's promise. It's the only hope that we have because as Christ has laid this out, not only is the world against us, it, but it's also our own hearts are against us, corrupting us. So the only way that we could fix this, the only way that we could listen to our hearts and know our true selves is if we have a new heart and a new spirit giving us a new hope. And so that's the idea here is that Christ is changing us from the inside out. And we have to do it in that order. We talked earlier, if you get it out of order, you will become, you'll fall into legalism. You'll be in the same boat as the Pharisees were, which had, you know, good goals. They wanted to be holy before God, but they didn't do it in the order that God has instructed, which is to receive a new heart. And then we begin to see what the Bible calls fruits of the spirit. And as you read through the fruits of the Spirit, they're almost in direct response to the fruits of a sinful heart. The, the sickly fruits of a sinful heart compared to the fruits of a new heart and a new spirit responds to those. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. If you think of a life that's full of love, it's one that loves their enemy. No longer will you be seeking to find ways to deceive and win over your enemy. You love them. You would do anything for them. Joy. We have joy in our lives. There's no room for a hopeless attitude that we are afraid of what's going on before us, but instead we are consumed with joy from our new heart. At peace, we don't envy what others have. We're not worried that we're not going to get ahead because we live at peace because of the new heart that we've been given. Patience, we're no longer trying to scheme and have evil intentions as we try to make it ahead in this world. We have patience to know that God's plan will be on his timing, that he will care for us as a father in heaven can only care for us. Kindness and goodness, they pour out of us instead of the evil works that would pour out of our heart. So then how do we change? The first step, as we said, is with a new heart. You can't start anywhere else. It starts with salvation. It starts as we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. So if you've never taken that step, if this is something strange to you that you've thought Christianity means that there's these list of rules and I, I follow them and that makes me right before God as I try to follow Jesus to be good like him. As I, I heard about the things that Jesus did, he seems cool, so I'm going to follow him by doing what he said to be good. You've missed the first step that he said. The first is following Jesus in our heart, calling him the Lord of our lives, worshiping him for what he's done on the cross, and then the promise is he's given us a new heart 
and a new spirit that now empowers us to follow him, to submit to his role and authority, to, to go where he calls us to go, to live in kindness with the world, to evangelize our neighbors, to go to the ends of the earth. If we do any of that out of order, we are making the same mistake that Jesus was crying out for his disciples to not do, to listen to. And then what we do with that new heart, and this is a simple thing that we say in youth ministry all the time, you've got to read your Bible. And you've got to memorize scripture. And that's not just to say like, that's what you're supposed to do because you're in church. But it's that when we know scripture, we know the heart of God. And when we know the heart of God, we therefore can line up our lives with what his heart is saying. No longer are we ruled by our own heart of flesh, but now we're ruled by Christ's heart and his hope for our lives. Piper has a quote that says this, when the heart full of God's love, so first full of God's love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the heart full of God's love can draw on the mind that's full of God's word, timely blessings flow from the mouth. And I think that is the order that we're looking at here of how do we save? We can't save ourselves. So what is salvation with our evil hearts? It's that into our hearts we get a new heart, a heart of love and grace from Christ. And then from our minds where we have ate scripture and consumed it so that it's all that we know and understand, then from our mouth and with our hands we live out those good works that we hope to see in our life. The last quote on your outline is a little poem. And it says, Christ, the transforming light, touches this heart of mine, pierces the darkest night, making his glory shine. Christ has come into this world as a transforming light into the darkness. However dark your heart has seemed, however dark your moment is right now, Christ has come into that with light, not so that we would be made good so that we would feel better, but that for his glory, it's seen through our life committed to him, living in his love, and serving him. Because Christ, through this passage, is concerned with our hearts. He's concerned with our intentions. He could have easily come and said, hey guys, it's really good that you're doing laws. Here's a bunch more laws. Just follow these things. That's what I want you to do. But instead he said, I need you to give me your heart. I need, to, I need you to give me your hopes and your dreams and what drives you. Because that's the only way that your life will shine for me. And we know this in ourselves, in our regular relationships, that intent means everything, right? In marriage, and I know that many of you guys that are married would, would know this, that even if you think that you're doing the right thing, if it's for the wrong reason, it doesn't matter. Too bad. Too bad you tried to do that nice thing. So I came home, or I was home, and Sydney came home with a cool wall hanging, right? She came home. She's super pumped about it. She really loves it. It was given to her by her friend, Jordan, and she's pumped about it. She hangs it on the wall and she goes, what do you think? And I, I was very not smart in this situation and I didn't read the room or the situation. And I went, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. I don't like it. It's like too many plants on it or uh, whatever I said was a hundred percent, not the right answer. Because, and many of us know, sometimes when we ask a question, we're not really looking for an answer. We're just looking for like, yay. But what I said totally revealed my heart, which was, I'm not a big fan of it. Where it was, whatever the reason was. This crushed her, right? She's in love with this wall hanging thing. It's a gift from Jordan. It's just the most important thing for her. And I crushed it. And then right, I mean, pretty right away, I was like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. And I was like, no, 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 it's great. Maybe if we move it, like I love it. It's really good. If we move it over here, it's good. I like it. And she's like, no. 
you already told me what you thought of it. I know what it is. And as I told Sydney this, she even, she, she was, she told me, I was like trying to think of how to illustrate this. And she was like, well, oh, remember when you did that? That's a pretty good illustration. Um, the, but the picture is this, that it doesn't matter if we've switched and we say, God, God, I did all these things for you. Jesus gives that illustration. He says that someone can come before heaven and say, Jesus, I did all this stuff for you. I casted out demons. I went to church every day of the week. I went to this homeless shelter. I, I served all these people. I did all this stuff for you. And Jesus looks at him and goes, I never knew you. I never knew you. And the picture is there not to make us think, oh, I have to do even more. I have to do much, so much stuff. No, no, no. The picture is it starts at the beginning that Christ wants our heart. And that's out of our new heart that we begin to live out the life that he's called us to. Because then when we serve at the homeless shelter, it's not out of the need to try to make God happy, but it's that we've been loved, that we want to love others, we want to help them. That when we serve over here, it's out of kindness that we care so much that we do this, that when we go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, we're doing that because we know the important message of the gospel, that without it, people perish. And we love people so much, we do not want them to perish and suffer. God cares about our intentions and Jesus is directing us here this morning. And so my, my prayer for all of us is not that we would be overwhelmed by the guilt of us not doing things for the right reasons, but that we would instead, in the, in the correct and helpful way, check our hearts. Take a moment and check our hearts. Now, if you haven't believed in Christ, the first step in checking your heart is realizing that you need a new one. And so today you make the steps to say, Christ... I want you to give me a new heart and I will follow you. I want to learn your ways and learn how you've loved me. And you could talk to a pastor or me after this service and we'll walk you through that. But if you are someone else who has lived their life and has lived in the world and has been sailing their ship in the world, trying to make it through, check where your heart is at. How much of the world has washed over into your heart and is messing up the way that you view yourself, the way that you think your life is supposed to go, has changed the way that you love people, has it affected the, how patient you are, how loving and caring you are. The world, your heart is, is so ready to fall back and live in the flesh. But Christ has given us a new hope and a new heart. And so this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would live in light of that truth, that amazing truth, that we have a, a big problem but God has saved us and given us a new heart. Pray with me. Father, I am so grateful for this truth this morning. And as I think through my own life and, and my leaning, my bent towards a sinful heart, whether whatever that might be that how I am ungracious or impatient, or that I believe narratives in my own head that are against your word. That this morning that we call those things out, we call them for what they are. Those are sinful things. Those are things against your will. But instead we put in your word. That if we have followed Christ, we are children of God. We are more loved than we could imagine. That you have a purpose for our lives in bringing you glory. And so Father, this morning... I do pray that we would each check our hearts, prayerfully ask ways that we can live in light of the gospel. In Jesus' name, the only way we can pray. Amen. Our benediction this morning is from Colossians 3. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and be thankful. Amen. Well, have a good rest of your Sunday. We're so thankful to be here. And if you can make it, we'd love for to have you at the barbecue this Wednesday night. Have a good day. Bye.